0: It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. and Radio Network. Radio Network. Hey, welcome to Wise Guys. These guys know sports. Here live on the Worldwide Sports Network. Got an action jam-packed show tonight. I got some big-time topics. I'm going to talk about Donovan Mitchell possibly going to the Big Apple and playing at Madison Square Garden. Also, later on the show, I'm going to talk about Odell Beckham, which team do I believe will be the best fit for OBJ? And also, later on the show, going we'll to talk about the Miami Dolphins and my expectations for Tua and the Miami Dolphins in the AFC East this year. But we begin in the NFL as the NFL is going to appeal the Deshaun Watson six-game suspension. Uh, this suspension was handed down by former Judge Sue L. Robinson. She suspended Deshaun Watson six games for violating the league's personal conduct policy after he was accused of sexual misconduct by two dozen women in Texas, Deshaun Watson. So Judge Sue L. Robinson, she basically said that he did violate the league's personal conduct policy. Sue L. Robinson, she suspended Deshaun Watson six games. And the NFL... Prior to Judge Sue L. Robinson's ruling, they were pushing for a season-long suspension for Deshaun Watson. So, the NFL, they appealed the suspension by Sue L. Robinson, and it was announced today that Roger Goodell, the commissioner for the NFL, he appointed former Attorney General Peter C. Harvey to hear the appeal of the six-game suspension for quarterback... Deshaun Watson of the Cleveland Browns. So that's where we stand today. And when it comes to this situation and the NFL appealing the, the, the ruling, I think the NFL was in a lose-lose situation here. Because on one hand, and I said this yesterday on Facebook, in the immediate aftermath, once it was announced that the NFL would be appealing Judge Sewell Robinson's ruling, I said that what was the point and bringing in a third party. When you agreed in the CBA to bring in the third party, the reason why players wanted a third party was because they didn't want Roger Goodell to be judge, jury, and executioner. So you bring in this third party, and you bring in Sue L. Robinson only to undercut her ruling by appealing the suspension. So I thought it was honestly a bad idea by the NFL to appeal the suspension, It defeats the entire purpose of the agreement that you came up with in the CBA that the NFL, PA, and the NFL agreed upon. It made no sense. Now, the NFL was pushing for a season-long suspension for Watson. And if you read the report in Robinson's, you know, 15-page document on this situation involving Watson, it's telling she agreed with the NFL that Watson did violate the conduct policy and that she used words like he was a predator and the actions that he had were egregious. She agreed with the NFL that Deshaun Watson was guilty. But what she said also was the NFL had set a precedent that they don't suspend players for, a se- for season-long suspensions. They don't do that. That's not the precedent that they've set in prior history so that's why deshaun watson not Sean watson ultimately got only six games we all expected watson to be suspended for at least 12 games or even a year when i was doing my expectations and my predictions for the cleveland browns this upcoming nfl season i factored in the fact that it's a good chance that deshaun watson is going to be suspended for the entire season so obviously if he's suspended for the entire season the chances of the Cleveland Browns making the playoffs are very low. But once it was announced that he only got six games, Roger Goodell and the NFL, they saw the public outcry from people around social media, women who watch the NFL. And so what happened was Roger Goodell reacted to the public outcry in the court of public opinion because he doesn't want these women groups and women who watch the NFL To not want to, you know, watch the NFL anymore because they don't feel like they take women's rights serious, so I think that was what was at play here. Like, I thought it was a lose-lose situation from the standpoint of you going against her ruling, so you're basically undercutting her decision to suspend him for six games. But on the other hand, you know, if you don't appeal, then you're going to have a lot of individuals who are women who are going to say, You don't care about the NFL, you don't really take. Domestic violence, or sexual misconduct, or sexual assault against women—serious. So the NFL was in a lose-lose situation here. It was in a lose-lose situation. But I, 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 I just feel like the the NFL PA, they are not not—they're—they're they're going to, you know, fight against this. They're going to appeal, you know, Roger Goodell's decision on whatever it is. Because because once it now now that it's back in Roger Goodell's hands, now he can overrule any ruling. He but but he did bring in again General General P- Peter C Harvey. So Peter C Harvey will hear the appeal of the six game suspension. But you know Roger Goodell knows this guy. He knows him. Whatever ruling Peter C Harvey comes up with, Roger Goodell will has it have his hands in that ruling. It's not just going to be Peter C Harvey giving his ruling. It's going to be Roger Goodell letting him know what he believes the suspension should ultimately be. So. I think the NFL was in a lose-lose situation. Call into the the Wise Guys Sports Show tonight, 513-203-8655. Do you believe the NFL made the right decision in appealing the suspension handed down by Judge Sue L. Robinson? Did the NFL make the right decision? Uh, Everybody's having mixed thoughts about this situation, whether or not they made the right decision. Again, I think it's a lose-lose situation for the NFL. It's it's, it's a lose-lose. I think you bring in a third party and you don't want – Roger Goodell to be judged, jury, and ex- executioner. Allow her to make her decision on the ruling, and that's what the suspension is. You set a precedent, like she said in the 15-page document, to where she couldn't suspend Watson for an entire season. She decided on six games. Yes, it was low, but that's the precedent that was set. But now he's, he's appealed the decision, and Roger Goodell is going to try to change his perception, and he wants to give off this impression like they actually care about women and women groups when they really don't. The NFL don't care about that. They just don't want to lose no money. They don't want their bottom line to be compromised. That's all this is about. They don't want their bottom line to be compromised. So that's why they're going to appeal this decision. If they care so much about women and their rights, there are suspensions in the past that they would have gotten right In prior situations, Ray Rice would have never gotten suspended only two games before the video was released of the incident involving his wife. If Roger Goodell took women's rights serious and women serious in general, he would have suspended Ray Rice an entire season. But he didn't suspend Ray Rice an entire season until the video was released. Before that, Ray Rice was only suspended two games. So, again, I think this is all about the NFL. It's their bottom line. They don't want their money affected. They want to be able to keep their sponsors and and, and keep these relationships that they have with with women who watch the NFL and these women groups. So that's what this is all about. That's what this is all about. They're trying to save face. Trying to save face here. Call into the show tonight, 513-203-8655. Did the NFL make the right decision appealing Deshaun Watson's six-game suspension? Let's transition. And let's discuss the Miami Dolphins. As Tyreek Hill, he was talking about the Miami Dolphins and their offense, and he used the phrase when talking about their offense, he said, their offense is, quote, just like Waffle House. Everyone's open 24 hours. This was Tyreek Hill, wide receiver for the Miami Dolphins. And when it comes to the Miami Dolphins and their team, this year, I actually like some of the moves that the Miami Dolphins made in the offseason. In the offseason so far in free agency, they have made sure that, that they got a solid backfield. They brought in Chase Edmonds, running back previously who played for the Arizona Cardinals. They brought in Raheem Mostard, who was famous for his great 2000. Twenty, The game when he had like over 200 yards rushing against the Packers and Jimmy Garoppolo only threw eight passes for crying out loud in that game. Most are, he had his best game of his career in that game. They brought him in in free agency as well. They brought in Sonny Michelle, So they have pretty much solidified that backfield for Tua. And then they traded for Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill is universally recognized as a top 10 receiver in the NFL, arguably top five. And he is a track star on the field. The fastest receiver in the NFL. They brought him in at receiver. And then you also still got weapons like Jalen Waddell. You brought in Cedric Wilson. He played with the Dallas Cowboys in previous years. So I actually like the supporting cast that the Miami Dolphins have around Tua. I like some of their skill position players. I like them bringing in Mike McDaniel. Worked previously under Cal Shanahan in San Francisco. So I, I assume that he knows what he's doing. He's an offensive-minded head coach. So is going to get an opportunity to play for a coach who knows offense and will put Tua in positions to be successful. In previous years, when Brian Flores was the head coach of the Miami Dolphins, Flores was a defensive-minded head coach. And I think he was actually a great coach. I think it was still... A terrible decision by the Miami Dolphins to fire Brian Flores. But he was a defensive-minded head coach, so he didn't really have that chemistry with Tua. And he actually wanted to trade for Deshaun Watson, and I can't blame him from an on-the-field perspective. Just strictly on the field, it is undeniable that Watson is an upgrade over Tua. So I didn't have any issues with Flores wanting Watson instead of Tua. But Miami, they fired Flores they brought in McDaniel and I think McDaniel is going to try to help Tua to succeed this year now last year they had one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL so in free agency this year they made some moves to buck up that offensive line they brought in Taryn Armstead offensive tackle and then up front you know you got center Connor Williams you got you know Robert Hunt, the right guard for the Miami Dolphins. So offensively, I think the Miami Dolphins will play better this year than they have in previous years. I like their skill position players. I think their offensive line will be better. But the only issue that I have with the Miami Dolphins offense, and the one question that I have is whether or not Tua can elevate his game so the Miami Dolphins can possibly get to the postseason. When I look at Tua, coming out of the draft, I said Tua was going to have a better career than Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert. I was wrong. I'll be the first to say it. I had it wrong. I was wrong about Tua. And Tua has been nothing short of a game manager. He has been a game manager so far in his career. And it's so many young quarterbacks that I would take over Tua. I'm taking Joe Burrow over Tua. I'm taking Josh Allen over Tua. Patrick Mahomes goes without saying. I'm taking Lamar Jackson over Tua, Kyler Murray. The list goes on and on. Give me Dak Prescott over Tua. I mean, there's so many young quarterbacks who I would take over Tua because Tua is a game manager. There were times last year where the Miami Dolphins had to bring in Ryan Fitzpatrick. Ryan Fitzpatrick. They had to bring in Ryan Fitzpatrick to finish games. In the fourth quarter, because Flores didn't trust Tua to deliver for the Miami Dolphins in clutch moments. Yes, in his career, Tua has a record. He is 13 and 8 in his career. And statistically, these are his numbers 27 touchdowns, 15 interceptions. He's thrown for 4,467 passing yards. He's completed 66% of his passes. But If I'm going into a game against some of these other young elite quarterbacks, like a Herbert, like a Josh Allen, like a Kyler Murray, like a Lamar Jackson or Dak Prescott, I don't trust that Tua can get me over the hump and win a meaningful playoff game. I don't trust it. I still got my questions about whether or not Tua is a franchise quarterback. I still got my questions about it. And like I said, coming out of the draft, I believed in Tua, but once I saw the tape, I said it all. He's going to struggle in the NFL. I don't like his arm strength. His he doesn't really have great arm strength and I believe a player like Tua he's going to have to get into that playbook and know where his receivers and backs out of the backfield and tight ends are going to be at all times. I don't think he has the arm like a Josh Allen or like a you know Aaron Rodgers or Patrick Mahomes. He's more of a quarterback that has to trust his instincts and know where players are going to be on every particular play. Like that's the one thing I thought about with Peyton Manning, when Peyton Manning played in his prime, Peyton Manning, he never had great arm strength, but Peyton Manning had great anticipation and he knew where his players were going to be at all times. Everyone in that Colts offense and Broncos offense as well, they were supposed to be at a certain place at a certain time. And Peyton Manning always knew when to deliver the football. Same with Drew Brees. Drew Brees never had the greatest arm strength. That's the same with Tua. Tua doesn't have great arm strength. So it's going to be important for Tua to get into the playbook, get on the same page with those players in that offense, Jalen Waddle, Tyreek Hill, and develop chemistry because he doesn't have the arm strength to deliver the football in tight windows or, 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 you know, Throw it the ball, throw the ball down the field 50 or 60 yards. He doesn't have that arm strength like a Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen. That's not, that's not who Tua is. So that's that's going to be key for that, that Miami Dolphins team. They also made some other moves, even on defense this year, where defensively they brought in Emmanuel Ajube. They brought in Duke Riley to help that linebacker room. They brought in Eldon Roberts. So that, you know, the, the, in the AFC East. I think they'll be a team that could contend for a playoff spot. I think they'll better they are better than the Patriots. I would I would say they're better than the Jets, obviously. So they'll be a team that's competing for a wild card spot in the AFC East and in the AFC overall. They're not better than the Bills. The Bills will sweep the Miami Dolphins. But they can possibly be one of those wild card teams who squeak into the playoffs. So those are my expectations for the Miami Dolphins, I, I remember I was watching First Things First and my man, Chris Roussard, loving, great sports broadcaster in the business. He predicted the other day that Tua was going to throw for over 4,500 passing yards. I, it was something crazy. and I'm, I'm thinking that's not going to happen. I, I can't see Tua throwing for over 4,500 pass yards. I just can't see it. That doesn't mean that Tua will have a bad season, but I don't think Tua would throw for over 4,500 passing yards. I I would say that, again, if they can run the football with Edmonds, with Mostar up front, that will take some pressure off Tua in the passing game. Open up that running game for those backs, and that's how you get your offense flowing at a very, very high level. Call into the show, 513-203-8655. What kind of season do you believe that the Miami Dolphins will have? Let's transition and let's talk about the L.A. Lakers as things could be very different for Russell Westbrook if he stays put with the L.A. Lakers this season. New Lakers head coach Darvin Ham will have more power to bench Westbrook late in games. Sources told the athletic Java Buha removing the former NBA MVP during the closing stages could also lead to his usting from the starting lineup. So when it comes to the Lakers and Russell Westbrook and whether or not he's going to have a bounce back season, I think the key for the LA Lakers and being able to have a better season overall as a team next year, they're going to have to bench Russell Westbrook. It's just that simple. They got to bench Russell Westbrook because I don't see Russell Westbrook being able to coexist with LeBron James on the floor at the same time. Because of Russell Westbrook's inability to shoot perimeter shots and hit them at a high level, it limits him in the lineup with LeBron James. One of the reasons why LeBron flourished at a high level in Cleveland playing with a teammate like Kyrie Irving is because Kyrie Irving can hit perimeter shots. That is where Russell Westbrook struggles. Russell Westbrook is not a perimeter shooter like a Damian Lillard, like a Kyrie Irving, like a Steph Curry. So the spacing is off in that Lakers offense. It's off. And that's the biggest issue right now for the LA Lakers. They panned Russell Westbrook all this money. Everybody knew Russell Westbrook was going to opt in to his $47 million. Everybody knew it. It was a foregone conclusion that Russell Westbrook was going to opt into that $47 million because he wasn't going to get that type of money in the open market. It just wasn't going to happen. So, for this Lakers team to be successful and compete for a playoff spot in the Western Conference, I think it's best if Darwin Ham makes Russell Westbrook come off the bench. And I know that's going to be hard for a player the caliber of Russell Westbrook. We know Russell Westbrook, he won an NBA MVP and he leads the NBA all-time record when it comes to triple-doubles. He's a great all-around point guard. He's a great facilitator, one of the best passers we have in the NBA. But he doesn't fit with LeBron, and you're not going to bench LeBron. You're not going to bench LeBron. You're going to keep LeBron on the floor at all times because LeBron is a top-five player right now. Right now, LeBron James is still a top five player in the NBA. It's only a few players right now I'm taking over LeBron. KD, because he's a little bit younger. Giannis, because he's younger as well. Steph, and that's debatable. But it's only a few players I'm taking over LeBron right now, and that's only because of his age. I got to keep LeBron on the floor. When it comes to my expectations for the Lakers, what's West a Westbrook aside? I gotta have some production from Anthony Davis. I need Anthony Davis to prove why he is university recognized as a top 10 player at his best. That's been my biggest issue with Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis, last year, he averaged 23 points per game on 53% shooting from the floor. 10 rebounds, 3 assists. But this is the key. Last year, he was awful from 3-point range. Last year. Anthony Davis, he shot 18% from three-point range last year. 18%. This was Anthony Davis. I need Anthony Davis to turn back into New Orleans Pelicans' Anthony Davis and get down in the low post and be a creative scorer like he is. That's what made Anthony Davis great when he was in New Orleans. He was able to get down in that low block, in the low post, and create scoring opportunities for himself and others. So you need him to be aggressive. Right now, for this Lakers team to flourish and be a true championship team, they need Anthony Davis to play like a true number one option. Right now, Anthony Davis, he's not playing like he's a number one option. He has the talent to be a number one option, but he's not playing like a number one option. And that's the biggest issue with the Lakers right now. We, are, we want to blame Russell Westbrook for all the Lakers' issues last year. As bad as Russell Westbrook was last year, at least Russell Westbrook showed up. At least he showed up. Last year, Anthony Davis only played in 40 games. He only played in 40 games last year. Best ability is availability. I'm paying Anthony Davis top-tier money. I need my star power forward, who's a top-ten player, In the NBA, at his best, I need him on the floor. And I need him to be aggressive and not be passive. We want the aggressive Anthony Davis. We want the angry Anthony Davis. That's what it's going to take for the LA Lakers to be a true championship team. This ain't about LeBron. This ain't even about Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook can come off the bench and thrive in a six-man role and do well they still won't be true championship contenders. They will only be championship contenders if Anthony Davis plays aggressive and shows heart and and not always injured. That's the only way they're going to be a true championship team. It's on AD. It's not on LeBron. It's not on Russell Westbrook. It's on Anthony Davis. So that's why earlier in this offseason, there were talks about how Anthony Davis hadn't shot a basketball in multiple months. I thought that was crazy. What are you doing, AD? You just came off one of the worst seasons of your career. You need to be in the gym and show the Lakers' organization that you're ready to make amends for that awful season that you had last year. That was one of the worst seasons of Anthony Davis' career. One of the worst. I got so much expect so many expectations for AD because this is this is AD his numbers for his career. Averages 24 points per game on 52% shooting from the floor. So A.D. is a a scorer who shoots efficiently. We need They need that. They need that to be great. So that's for his career. Those are my thoughts on the Lakers. I think they need to, again, Dar- Darvin Helm, he needs to make Russell Westbrook come off the bench. And Russell Westbrook can thrive in that role. He can thrive in that role for the Lakers. And, again, A.D., got he got to step up. He got to step up because there's no reason why he shouldn't be the best player on this team. It's not. It, it shouldn't be LeBron. It should not be LeBron James as the best player on this team anymore. LeBron's up in age. LeBron is, is getting older now. Father time is approaching fast. It's approaching fast for LeBron. So AD got to be the best player on this team. Let's transition to the Wiser Lies segment of the day. Tampa Bay, Buccaneers quarterback Tom Brady, celebrated his 45th birthday yesterday. Brady's set to become the first 45-year-old signal caller to start an NFL game next month. And the five-time Super Bowl MVP. Previously acknowledged that his goal was to play. Until his mid-40s. The future Hall of Famer hasn't slowed down. During his 40s. He's leading the NFL. With 5,316 passing yards. 43 touchdowns. And 485 completions last season. At the age of 44. So is it wise or wise to say. That Brady will retire at the end of the season. Honestly. Honestly. I'm torn on this one. I don't know. I don't know what to expect with Brady. Every time I think Brady's going to retire, he either doesn't retire or he unretires like he did in the offseason this year. So I don't know what to expect. I do believe now that he's 45, I think Giselle, his wife, is getting tired of Tom, Mr., you know, Mr. Tom coming out to play football. I think she's ready for him to come on home and be a family man. But I can't say for sure that Brady won't come back. After this season, because he's still a top five quarterback in the NFL, so this one I, I'm torn. I'm, it's hard for me to say whether this is wise or lies that Brady will retire at the end of the season. This is one. This this was hard for me. It's difficult. The 2021-22 NBA campaign was a major breakthrough for the Minnesota Timberwolves as they made their second playoff appearance since 2004. However, star Anthony Edwards. He looked at last year's first round series loss to the Memphis Grizzlies as a missed opportunity. This is Anthony Edwards. He said, quote, man, I feel like we handed it to them, man. It was like taking candy from a baby. And they took the candy. We had every game won, man. And I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. So is it wise or last to say the Timberwolves blew their first round series against the Grizzlies? I believe that is wise. Last year in that NBA play our first-round matchup between these two teams, multiple games in that series, the Timberwolves had the lead over the Grizzlies. So it wasn't your typical 2-7 matchup where normally the, the 2 seed dominates the 7 seed. It wasn't your typical 2-7 matchup. So the Minnesota Timberwolves, they were right there competing with the Memphis Grizzlies. Carvey Towns on that team, Anthony Edwards. They previously had Patrick Beverly on that team. And they were in those games. But the issue was they didn't know how to close games. And that's the thing. You can be the more talented team, but if you're not the more disciplined team or the more experienced team, there are things that can happen throughout the course of games that you may not be ready for. In that series, I can't remember exactly which game it was, but in one of those games in that series between the Timberwolves and Grizzlies, the Grizzlies They went on like a 21-0 run, 21-0 run in one of those games. And for whatever reason, the Timberwolves head coach did not call a timeout. You would have thought when it got to be a 6-0 run, 9-0 run, 17-0 run, all right, let me call a timeout. No, they went on a 21-0 run and scored 21 unanswered points. So I think this was a learning lesson for the Grizzlies. I agree with Anthony Edwards that the Timberwolves handed that first-round playoff series to the Grizzlies. I'm not even saying that they necessarily was the better team. This was a great matchup between two young teams. But it's undeniable that the Timberwolves handed this first that first-round series to the Grizzlies. They had multiple leads at halftime in that series. They, they just couldn't close the deal. Let's move on, and let's get back to the NFL. And let's talk about Odell Beckham. As Odell Beckham is a free agent, and he is still rehabbing from his— injury that he suffered in the Super Bowl last year. So they were talking about, you know, which team is going to be the best fit for Odell. There are teams that have shown interest like the Rams, obviously, the Ravens, the Packers, the Chiefs, and the Saints. So to me, I want to see Odell play with an elite quarterback, number one whether it be Tom Brady with the Bucs, whether it's Matthew Stafford with the Rams, whether it's Aaron Rodgers with the Packers, Patrick Mahomes with the Chiefs, I want to see Odell Beckham play with an elite quarterback. I don't think you're going to get the best from Odell if he's playing with a subpar quarterback. I think that, that that's, not, that's not something that you want to bring Odell in to be a part of. I don't think the, the 49ers, well, it would be a good fit if you brought in Odell Beckham I saw I saw Nick Wright on first things first he talked about how maybe the 49ers would be a good fit for Odell Beckham and I couldn't disagree I, I disagree completely because I don't think that Trey Lance is the kind of quarterback that Odell would want to play for so I think it's going to be important for whichever team brings in Odell Beckham that they have an elite signal caller to deliver him to football also I think it's important for Odell to be on a true Super Bowl contender. So of these five teams, Rams, Ravens, Packers, Chiefs, Saints, the best fit for Odell and where he can flourish is the Green Bay Packers. Because if he goes to Green Bay, and I know you all going to say, you a Packer fan, of course you're going to say that. you damn right. But this is the thing. He would be the number one receiver on the Packers offense He would be the number one receiver as soon as he signs in Green Bay. The number one receiver. And then, also, you'll get an opportunity to compete for a Super Bowl in the NFC. And the NFC is an easier conference than the AFC. You'll get an opportunity to catch passes from Aaron Rodgers. I still don't understand for the life of me why Odell didn't sign in Green Bay last year. But he did make the right decision because the Rams are not winning the Super Bowl. But, Everybody know I I, I wanted Odell in Green Bay last year. I wanted Odell on the other side of Devontae Adams. But if he goes to Green Bay now, he will be the number one receiver because in that wide receiver room for the Packers right now, you got Alan Lazard, you got Randall Cobb, Sammy Watkins, who's injury prone. It's so many questions about that Packers receiving core that Odell Beckham would instantly emerge as the number one receiver in that Packers offense. So, catch and pass from Aaron Rodgers will be great for Odell. And then last year, I actually thought Odell played well for the L.A. Rams. I mean, last year he had 305 receiving yards, 27 receptions. And then last year in the Super Bowl, he was balling. Odell had two receptions for 52 receiving yards, one touchdown. And before he went down with his injury, Odell was on his way to winning NFL Super Bowl MVP. The Bengals had no answers for Odell. And I said it before the Super Bowl. I said Odell Beckham is about to ball out in a Super Bowl. Cooper Cup is the best receiver on the field. And he's having the best season in the NFL when it comes to receivers. So he's going to get a lot of attention from the Bengals secondary. I expect Odell to step up because he's going to win 95% 95 percent of the time against the opposing team's second best corner, and that's exactly what he did. He had the one touchdown in the first quarter for the LA Rams, and he was on his way to having a great game and possibly win the Super Bowl MVP until to he tore his knee up. So, again, like I thought last year, Odell showed a lot of a, a, a lot of character and great character in that LA Rams locker room. There were questions about Odell Beckham and the kind of teammate that he is before he signed with the Rams, and I thought he answered all those questions last year in L.A. I thought he was a great teammate. He didn't make a big deal when he didn't get targets in that Rams offense. They had so many weapons in that Rams offense. You got Jefferson. You got Cooper Cup. You got Higby. You got guys who want to touch the football, and Matthew Stafford did a great job at distributing the football around Odell wasn't making a big deal when he didn't get targets. He didn't make a big deal. So I thought he actually fit with that L.A. Rams culture. Sean McVay, he embraced Odell from day one. So I, I think the L.A. Rams would be a good fit if he went returned return back to the Rams again once he is, you know, cleared from his, his knee injury. And then they talking about the Saints, that would be him returning to that where he you know he he played at LSU so that would be him returning to that region. Uh that would be a de- a good one cuz I, I wouldn't mind Odell Beckham with Michael Thomas once he returns back from his injury and then they 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 got Olave, a receiver from o- Ohio State who I think is going to be a stud. But you know, these are the teams that I think would be, you know, a good fit for Odell. The Rams, Packers, Saints maybe, Chiefs, that would be okay. It it will be okay. But I still think Odell got some left in the tank. And if I'm Odell, I would be cautious about, you know, signing a long-term deal. Because if you sign a deal where you get, for let's just say a, a team brings in Odell Beckham and they sign him to a two-year deal. Well, for Odell, he's going to be happy because he got two years and he's coming off of, of an injury. But what if he goes out there this year and he has a bounce-back season and plays at a high level? you're going to be stuck with that contract that that particular team gave you when they brought you in. So if I'm Odell banking on myself, and I'm going to go in this year, one year, ball out, and then go back to the drawing board in the offseason. Because if you have a great season and you're healthy, teams may pay you more than they will be willing to pay you right now. I would want to go back to the drawing board next offseason if I'm Odell Beckham. Odell Beckham team, one you see it on the screen. The Rams are the favorites right now to sign Odell, and you got the Ravens. I in in that Raven in that Ravens offense with Lamar, I think Odell could help them. I just don't know about Lamar as a passer. That's my questions about Lamar in that Ravens offense. Like with Aaron Rodgers, with Patrick Mahomes, with Matthew Stafford, I know they can get Odell the football. I'm not sure about Lamar. Now Lamar is a top ten quarterback in the NFL, but I'm not sure about Lamar as a passer. And the way that Ravens' offense is constructed, they want to run the football first. That's a run-heavy first football team. These other teams, they pass the ball a lot more, especially the Rams. Rams, they throwing the ball in the air. That's what they did last year with Matthew Stafford. And then and the Chiefs, we know Matt, with Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, they love flinging that football around. But in that Ravens' offense... I don't know if Odell will get the opportunities to play at an elite level. I don't know if he'll get the opportunities. Possibly. And then you got this the Saints on there. Like I said, I think that would be a nice fit with him and Michael Thomas. But I'm not sure about that one with that receiver room they already got. Again, the Packers, he'll be the number one receiver off rip. Let's transition back to some NBA. And let's talk about the New York Knicks. As there were discussions recently about Devo- Donovan Mitchell. And whether or not the Utah Jazz would trade Donovan Mitchell to the New York Knicks. So, when it comes to the New York Knicks, should the New York Knicks go all in to acquire Donovan Mitchell? I say yes. The New York Knicks should go all in to acquire Donovan Mitchell. And the thing is, they have the assets to go and acquire donovan mitchell you got emmanuel quickly you got Obi Toppin, you got rj barrett they got players who they can package to go and acquire donovan mitchell so that's the key you have to be able to have the personnel to put in a trade package for donovan mitchell they have that also the reason why i would say they should go all in for donovan mitchell is because you bring in donovan mitchell on your team he is an upgrade over Everyone that you have right now currently on this roster for his career, Donovan Mitchell, he averages 24 points per game on 44% shooting from the floor. He averages four assists per game, four rebounds per game, and he's decent from three point range for his career. He averages 36%. So he could, he's, he's decent as a perimeter shooter. And I think he would also embrace being in that New York market similar to Carmelo Anthony, Donovan Mitchell is from that area. He's from that region. So he would embrace playing at Madison Square Garden on a nightly basis. And right now, I'm not sure if this Knicks team is a playoff team without Donovan Mitchell. I mean, you look at their roster. They they did sign Jalen Brunson, but I thought they overpaid for him because he's not a, a star. But they also got, again, they got Manuel Quickly. They got Obi Toppin. They got R.J. Barrett. And R.J. Barrett, you know, he had a pretty decent season last year. They got Julius Randle. But I don't think Julius Randle is a number one on a championship team. Julius Randle is a number three option on a championship team. Donovan Mitchell is a number two option on a championship team. But he will improve your team and make your team a legit playoff team if you trade for him. Like I think the Knicks with Donovan Mitchell at their best could be a second round playoff team in the East because you'll have Donovan Mitchell, you'll have Julius Randle, you won't have R.J. Barrett because Danny Ainge he will want R.J. Barrett back in a deal for Donovan Mitchell, so R.J. Barrett will be gone. Emmanuel quickly might be gone as well. He might be gone because you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna have to give up possibly R.J. Barrett, Emmanuel quickly, and some draft picks. That's going to be the deal. He's going to want to get a lot a ton of draft picks and then. What messed up everything for the market was what the Timberwolves gave up to acquire Rudy Gobert. They gave up all those draft picks for Gobert, as if Gobert is a top five player in the NBA. Gobert is offensively challenged, and he's great defensively, but offensively, he's challenged. They gave up all those picks that completely messed up the market. So now teams are going to try to rip off the. Utah Jazz, because they're going to say, look at what you got in return for Rudy Gobert. We need a lot of picks if you're going to acquire Donovan Mitchell. We need a lot of picks. So them doing that, that would completely mess up the market. But when it comes to to the Jazz, like, again, I know Danny Ainge, he's a great GM and he's a great decision maker. So I know he's going to want RJ Barrett back in the deal. But when it comes to the Knicks, even if they trade for Donovan Mitchell, they're still going to have to be in the open market for a potential superstar. Because I don't think Donovan Mitchell is a superstar just yet. He could possibly emerge as a superstar as his career goes along, but he's not a true superstar. He's not a number one option on a championship team. He's a solid number two, but not a number one. So they'll still have to search in the open market for a superstar to come to New York. But this would be a start because you will have someone in Donovan Mitchell who could recruit other star players to come to New York City to play. So that's going to be important. Also, when it comes to Donovan Mitchell and how I view him as, you know, is he a top five young player in the NBA? These are the players I would take over Donovan Mitchell that are young players. Luka, Tatum, John Morant, Trey Young. It's questionable from there. I take Donovan Mitchell over Zion because I haven't seen Zion play a consistent amount of games to critique him as an nba player yet i haven't seen him enough yet i need to see more from zion hopefully hopefully this year he's going to actually play but i'll take him over zion like donovan mitchell he's a slasher he's a great scorer again tatum and luca and morant are the only players i would say for sure and trey young that's debatable too but trey young is he's been the number one option on the atlanta hawks and he led the atlanta hawks to an easter conference finals appearance so That's something that Donovan Mitchell hasn't been able to do yet. And that team in Utah is better than that team in Atlanta. So that's the only thing. I'm not sure if Donovan Mitchell is a type of player that can carry those around him and and lead. Again, I think he could be a number two on a championship team because of his talent and his ability to be able to score. I'm not sure if he can lead as a true leader on a team. Everybody go on, follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H also on Facebook WiseGuys. Be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys No Sports. I'll be back on next Tuesday and Thursday, 7 p.m. to 8:30 p.m. on the Worldwide Sports Network. Everybody enjoy your weekend. I'm Trey Larkins signing off. Have a good one. It is the World Sports Radio Network.